Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all of the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a, a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Welcome everyone to Manager Mojo. This is Steve Caldwell and I am thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Dr. James Kelly. Now, uh, James is the author of The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. And we're going to talk about his book today, but a little background on Dr. Kelly. Uh, he uh, lives uh, currently near Dubai with his wife and four children and uh, also publishes a popular podca podcast which I'm sure he'll mention later today uh, and mm -hmm. he's going to share a little bit about his journey today in writing this book and we look forward to talking with you today James about your book and before we begin why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work Absolutely. So this is, I always say 100% true, but then that sounds like an awful start. But this uh, weekend was the first time in 10 years of marriage, my wife and I left our kids for a time period overnight. And that to me is an exciting new adventure, not having a child at my side. That's my new thing. Oh, I love it. Uh... <laughs> Uh, well, congratulations, James. I know how good that, <laughs> right. that, that feels. Uh, yeah. uh, I, my, my daughters are, uh, are fully grown. I've got three granddaughters, so I, I totally understand and remember how nice it was to get yeah. up by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually know what to do. It was so calming and relaxing. <laughs> laid in a hotel bed till like 11 o'clock. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, it, what most people do is they just sleep. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, cool. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, James, so glad to have you on the show today. And uh, what I want to talk about uh, is your book, The Crucible's Gift. 
And I want to just, uh, I I think you have a phenomenal definition of crucible uh, in your book. And I'm just going to read this for our listeners to get us all on the same page. And then I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, A crucible is a significant moment, positive or negative in impact, which forces a leader to become introspective. James, I love that definition, and uh, if you don't mind, share with our listeners your story of, number one, uh, why you really became interested in this concept of crucible or or tough defining moments for us. Well, first of all, thanks, Steve, for having me on your show. I'm honored, and and it's a a pleasure to be here and share with you this, this whole journey and book and why I think that your adversity or crucible moments really can be the defining positive moment in your life at the end of the day. So uh, the short answer is uh, that the idea of the crucible really came from my experience talking to and interviewing roughly 140 CEOs and executives from around the world, from Fortune 200 companies all the way to entrepreneurs and everything in between. And early on in the podcast, you know, I had a different idea for a book that I wanted, but this theme just kept jumping out at me. And it became very clear at episode number 50, there was this pattern forming of what I saw as a successful leader. Now, Steve, you probably have seen all stripes and shades of leaders, some good and maybe some not so good. But the one Without thing that I think we can agree with, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the, the one that we can probably agree on is that those leaders who have taken the time to embrace and reflect on their moments of adversity or crucible moments, as I call them, really are the ones who are better suited to lead the, the organization because they understand that everyone has moments and everyone has challenges. And because of theirs, it made them a better person. I, I totally get it. And I know uh, from reading the book that you shared some really personal stories of your own where Uh, you were impacted yourself with some adversity. And I didn't point out to our listeners that you actually uh, were originally from uh, Portland, Oregon, I believe, and earned your PhD. But you had some uh, little times in your own career where (laughs) things, uh, especially from clicking a little link in an email that might be kind of fun for people to hear. So you had had your own little ups and downs here. Uh, So I know you can relate to all of us. James, why don't you kind of give our listeners a little taste of that? So I'll I'll tell you that particular story for sure. So, you know, I was in my, my, I guess I was probably 27 at the time. And the job prior, I was working for a company called Nationwide Advertising, which is a specialized advertising company that at the time worked for organizations around recruitment. So how to find and select the best employees via advertising. This is when paper ads was kind of the way it was before Monster.com and the like. And so I I opened the 41st office in Portland, Oregon, but I was grossly underqualified grossly. And I just kind of did a fake it till you make it. And I talked my way into the job. Um, and after about a year and a half, I left that and I moved down to San Jose to take over another company. And when I took over the office of San Jose, it was an absolute train wreck, train wreck. They were in an office space next to the airport that had, I think it was like 10, 10 individual offices, but only four employees were working there at that point. So that's how decimated it was. And mm. when I took the job, the sales rep that I was inheriting had not actually worked for six months. 
And for various reasons, you know, policies, procedures, um, everything you can think of in between, the individual cannot be let go. <clears throat> so through a series of battles with my boss, I had to start making, making sales calls again. And so, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you are supposed to lead an organization and try to, to right the ship, if you will, you need to be motivated yourself to write that ship. And so some of my motivation was kind of taken out of the sales pretty, pretty early on for a couple of different things. However, this particular instance that you were referring to, <laughs> uh, if you remember back in the day when you'd get an email and you didn't really fully understand what spam was or phishing or any of that stuff. And I can't remember the headline, but man, I was really attracted to the link. And, you know, it was basically if you can visualize the picture of the devil and the saint on your shoulders, <laughs> they had a serious battle going on. And unfortunately, because I had sometimes impulse control, the devil went out and I clicked on the link. And there shortly after, I wiped out 22 offices across the network at one time. And so <laughs> probably, probably a solid five days later, I could no longer walk into the office because the door was locked. The locker changed, and I was fired. So they, well, they, congratulations. They laid off. Uh, yeah. Congratulations, though, James. You. I mean, if you're, if you're going to have a, a catastrophe... <laughs> Uh, to shut everybody down uh, and get yourself fired at the same time is, I think, pretty darn spectacular. So, uh, thank, thank you very much. Yes. The, the, now, uh, I, I, I want to point out, though, though James, that the thing that I found so amusing about this story was not, obviously, we can laugh today, but I, I mean, that was tough during then, and it was really difficult. But you used that moment after that to really begin to search uh, for what you really, what it really meant to be a leader and uh, the things that you wanted to examine in your own life. And I think it really, you took action from there that I think is very important. And mm -hmm. I think uh, you used uh, examples of people that you interviewed in your book that also had experienced some some tough times and some people in some pretty darn high positions. Uh, so you learned about this uh, idea of the leaders got to have uh, compassion and they got to be authentic in terms of leading their people. And if you don't mind, I want you to just spend a moment or two and really kind of give our listeners, a, 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 I guess, a, a taste of what, what do you think it means to be authentic, and how do we take these tough mm. times to move forward? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Thanks for that, Steve. So, you know, in today's, in today's culture, the word authentic is thrown around like a tumbleweed in the desert, if you will. So yeah. it, it's just used – that was an awful metaphor. I was trying. I was trying. Um, but it, it's used so often now to describe something – and, you know, the individuals will use the word authentic to describe someone who has negative habits and say, well, they're being real. That's why they're attracted. And to me, they're just being a jerk. Mm -hmm. So the way that I look at authentic leadership is, is really or are those leaders that they strive to be a better version of themselves. They recognize their shortcomings and they accept them for what they are. You know, for me, for example, uh, I am, uh, if it's not something I'm totally passionate about, I'm, I'm very scatterbrained. I can't focus. I recognize that and I work to figure out and create tools to focus myself better at whatever that task is. And so for me, authentic leaders are these individuals who just exude this 
this realism about themselves that it's okay that they have flaws and that they're not perfect and they don't they embrace their employees imperfections and perfections as well and i think that's a really important lesson you know we, we live in a world of social media where we get instant feedback 24 7 all the time and in that it helps you evaluate your current self-worth and that's a fundamental problem and authentic leaders realize that self-worth isn't the instant gratification self-worth is the longevity of their behavior over time and so for me authentic leadership just and i'm talking kind of in a little bit of a circle here is really about an individual leader who inspires those inspires those around him or her to be a better version of themselves because they themselves as a leader are trying to do the same I think that makes perfect sense, James, and uh, I don't. I actually don't think it's circular at all because, from a standpoint, the the thing that I like about what we're talking about here is uh, that you actually have to be able and willing uh, to examine yourself, and I think that's where mm-hmm. people struggle. They they if mm-hmm. you look at social media for your uh, who you are. I mean, you're going to be really disappointed. I mean, because yeah. some <laughs> people are going to love you and some people day. are going to think you're an idiot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's everything in between. It, the, the only person that really knows themselves is you. You have to know yourself, but that takes, I, I think it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people to do that. Do you agree? Mm. No, absolutely. And this, is, and this is, to me, where the crucible became the critical lever in the process part of the lever i think there's another part that's actually equally or even more so important but the crucible was to me what forced people to look at their their challenges and i want to be clear you know often we you know there's this perception perhaps that you have a a bad moment and in you know four weeks later you're a better person and that's not what a lot of these leaders went through (laughs) a lot of these leaders including myself it was i had a bad year yeah. I had a bad six months. I had a bad event that I never really thought about till five years later. Um, you know, there there was a guy I uh, interviewed, though he wasn't in the book, named Dov Barron. And for your leaders, they might know who Dov is. He, owns, he has a podcast that's pretty well received. And he talks about how he fell off a mountain and almost died. And he didn't actually realize the impact of that for five years later. He still went about his, went a, went a, um, went a, when I'm, I'm trying to think of the right phrase here, went along with his day every day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. nothing changed. And he was still a bit of a jerk, a bit arrogant, and, he, and then something happened. In fact, it was his cat dying that put him over the edge. And not that it's not a significant moment, but that made him reflect on the mountain and just life in general. And that was his springboard to become a better person. So each person's crucible is their own through their own eyes and their own truth. And the challenge is, is that if you're not telling yourself the truth and creating the messaging. And that's the hard part, I think, with the crucible. Well, James, I think you're 100% right. But I also think uh, when, when I hear this, uh, I can't help but uh, acknowledge the fact that all of us uh, are creatures of habit. We tend to get up mm. and go do the same things over and over and over again. And, and this idea of examining who you are and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses really are uh, can be it, it, it's such a disjointed if you will part of your day in other words you got to totally rechange your day to start thinking mm-hmm. that way 
And so it's that habit thing that causes us to, to really ignore uh, what we should do for, as you said, uh, this individual took five years before he finally said, you know, I need to be thinking about this. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I just want to point out to our listeners that, okay, you, you may have some, some of these tough times maybe coming because it's really your way of, of being told you need to stop and think for a second. Is that a yeah, fair statement? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, in, in the in the book, you, you mentioned um, I, I did interview a couple of really significant people. One was Mo Gadot, who uh, at the time was the chief business, uh, chief strategy officer for Google X. I love and that story. He talks about nudge. He talks about nudges all the time, mm-hmm. and how life will keep giving them to you. And I absolutely agree with this. Will keep giving you nudges until it absolutely kicks your teeth out and forces you to deal with it. And that's what these little, if you want to even say mini crucible, mini adversity moments. We'll, we'll create a macro moment for you, you know, and, and just to kind of dovetail what we were talking about in terms of just self-awareness, you know, for many of us, me included at different times, is there's a fear of what I'm going to find when I peel back that curtain. Yeah. Yeah. And so that prevents me from wanting to inspect the possibilities. Well, but what I think is important to remember, it's, it's what you extract out of it and how you extract it that matters more. So what I mean by that is that often when we look at our, our flaws, because we live in a society that kind of pokes at people's flaws, not embraces the flaws, that if you're able to say, okay, within that, where are the strengths that I can take? You know, in the book I talk about my dad's death. And for me, net, that's a positive event. Now that sounds ridiculous to so many people, I'm sure, Yes, would I love him to be around now and meet my four kids? Absolutely. But without that, I wouldn't have got a PhD and I wouldn't be living in the Middle East. I would have never gone to Australia. So, net, I look at his death as making me a better person to put me on a a different trajectory. I could always do the what if, but that's kind of wasted energy. And not to sound patronizing when I say it that way, but I feel like it's a bit of wasted energy. And so, that's what I'm, the self awareness is really saying, okay. Don't be afraid of what you see, and when you see it, wrestle with it, and find the good in it, whatever that it is for you. Mm-hmm. So true. Uh, you mentioned uh, a, a great technique uh, in the book that I think more of us ought to do, uh, I, and I'm just going to briefly mention it and let you kind of expound on it. And that is uh, that you said when you start really going through this analysis, you you uh, you kind of looked at uh, maybe even you know the end of like your life, uh, your eulogy. What was it going to mm. say? And you went backward from there. So if you would kind of share a little bit about that, I think that can help people. Yeah. So I, you know, in the book, I call it the eulogy exercise, and, and um, David Brooks, you know, talks about this as well in, a, in an article that he's written. And um, in essence, what this is, is take a moment and imagine your funeral. Imagine what that looks like. And imagine what people are talking about. And you can write your own obit, or you can play out a dialogue of what your friends and families are saying about you. And what I found in the book is those that were able to reflect and say, yeah, my family loved me, I, I did the best I could as a dad, I was always present or a mom, 
those are the individuals I found that were much more self-reflective on their journey. Where those, I had someone who would literally say he was a good business person. He made lots of money. And I just kind of thought, like, and these are people who are in their 50s. And I just kind of thought, you're kind of missing the point of life. And so by doing this exercise, you're really creating an anchor in your mind about how you want to act to those around you and how you want to be. And so if you can perceive how you want to be in the future remembered, that actually helps you create a path moving forward of how you should act. And it actually creates essentially markers, like subconscious markers in your brain when you're not acting that way, when there starts to be a disconnect. You're just more sensitive to it. I think that's incredibly accurate. And uh, for me in your book, the best example you used was the executive at Microsoft who walks in and, and quits uh, to start his own business. I, I love that, that whole story uh, because yeah. he realized that, you know what, I don't like what I am now. Yeah, he was miserable. He was a miserable, miserable man. Uh, that's Joe Burton, and Joe Burton, um, he was working on the Microsoft business, but he was actually the chief operating officer for McCann Erickson World Group, mm -hmm. and uh, this is at 40 years old. So for anyone who listens to this who's in advertising, they'll know that McCann Erickson is like a billion-dollar company. It's a massive organization. So to be 40 and to reach that level, it's, it's unheard of. And yet, at 40, the guy just realized that he was the most miserable person ever. And what made him realize it went back to his crucible. Yeah. His dad's death, his two sisters' death, his, his, his marriage not being as strong as he thought it should be, his, him and his relationship with his young kids. It was just all kind of adding up. And the additive effect was having a negative impact on him as an well, individual. That, and he that made was that those choice. nudges. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, those were the nudges absolutely. and uh, you forgot the, or you didn't mention right now but uh, the thing that, that struck me on it is that he gained a lot of weight his, his health was mm. crappy uh, you know yeah. sooner or later you're going to have a complete total meltdown if you don't uh, acknowledge look you, you got to understand who you are because people mm -hmm. will understand if you're not truly uh, the person that you should be it's that simple. Well, and, uh, yeah, and I argue that people that you work with, if you're leading a team, at some point they're going to see through you. Mm -hmm. At some point. You know, I talk in the book about this idea called private versus public self. And it, it, it's, a, it's a really simple concept. You know, in public you act one way and in private you act another. This is a very natural thing for us to do as human beings. We want to put on a face. But my argument is that the closer you can make those two, they're never going to be in unity, but the closer you can make those two concepts, the happier you're going to be. The I'm living testimony of that, judgment. James. I'm living testimony <laughs> of that. Uh, because I know, uh, I, I know that I struggled with that early. Uh, and then uh, once I began to understand that I couldn't be two people. I, I, I'm not smart enough. Maybe some people are. I'm just not smart <laughs> enough. Uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, I just don't have the intelligence nor the energy to pull that off. And uh, it's been my humble experience over the years to really, I haven't seen many other people that could do it well either. Uh, so it, it really doesn't add up. But uh, yeah. well, I, I think, did you find, go ahead, did you find, Steve, that, did you find at some point it just wore on you? It's oh. because from, from a psychological standpoint, more than anything else, you know, because, and did you find that when you started shifting 
to, to getting those closer together that the way you led and, and the response of your team also changed? Uh, I think everything changed uh, whenever I mm-hmm. got in the sink with myself uh, because I, I actually understood other people's uh, issues and problems and opinions better than I did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was more willing to listen to them. But it also, uh, in a strange way, uh, it also made me much more confident, much more assertive in doing the correct things, the right things uh, to help people. Uh, and and I, in other words, I, I really, uh, at first I thought, well, you know, you just, you, you got to treat everybody with kid gloves. You can't really tell them the truth. And then the, when they I started sinking together, I began to realize, wait a minute, uh, they know I'm lying to them if I'm just saying, you know, stuff that makes <laughs> you feel good. And uh, so I was like, well, that's not going to work. And so when I really understood this, uh, I was able to to uh, really latch on to my own gifts, which uh, are, are easier to share when you're you're just being real mm. with people and i kind of called it being real with people i don't know if that's really a term or not but for me it just meant that uh, i wanted to share what i really thought with people i wanted them to understand my own motivations and i wanted to understand their motivation so when you when you was, get was both of an, you together you're pretty good was there was there an epiphany moment for you was there was there one or was it just a gradual uh, no, it wasn't gradual. It, it came uh, pretty quickly for me just from a standpoint of uh, working so many hours that I realized nobody was hearing anything that I said. And uh, frankly, I didn't hear it either. And when you get to the point where it's like uh, I'm banging my head against the wall, this it hurts, I need to quit doing it. And uh, at that point, I began to change. Uh, but I, I had this stupid idea that everybody's motivation was the same as mine, and that caused mm-hmm. all of the problems. I had to recognize that. Uh, and and mm-hmm. once I finally got that through my skull, I began to really embrace the differences <laughs> in others uh, because they, mm-hmm. they gave me a little balance that I didn't have before. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's fantastic. No, my pleasure. Uh, one of the, th- I know people are going to want to, uh, they, they certainly want to know more about your work. And uh, uh, why don't you share how they can connect with you? And also, I mean, I know the name of your podcast, but I'd like for you to share that publicly with others so that if they're looking for additional uh, information to share, that they can connect with you there as well. So why don't you share that? Sure. Jim? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. So, um, there is a there is a special show page set up for this episode. It's www.drjameskelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, dot com forward slash mojo. So if you go to Dr. James Kelly forward slash mojo, uh, there's a free giveaway there. The introduction chapter is free in the book. So please go there, check it out. As for the podca- podcast, it's called Executives After Hours, um, like yours, Steve, it's all over. Just Google, you'll find it. And the tagline of the show is, is, is that I care about who you are, not what you do, because who you are defines what you do. And so I take my listeners on a journey of these different executives from, from their childhood to their adulthood. And right now, uh, I'm on my first 
season break. So I joke because my first season was three years long, <laughs> and I'm taking a break right now um, so I can promote the book. And yeah, I just had so many things going on. I had I was doing I'm doing a vlog, a blog, interviewing. I had so much going on at one time. I, was, I couldn't possibly fit in one more thing. So, um, and coming back in September, and I'm really excited about this. I'm going to try this out. Is I'm going to be doing seasons, and so instead of doing continuous two week, I'm going to do a season of ten episodes. And so the first season is going to be Executive After Hours Dubai. So I only interview CEOs and executives in Dubai, and it's video as well as audio. And then the final episode is getting at least half of them to sit down at a round table and talk about their personal journeys with each other and the impact like in the city we're in. So I'm going to try that out for season one and see how that goes. And if that goes well, then I've got a list of other cities I'm going to move on to after that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, look forward to that. And thank you for sharing uh, that information with us today, James. Uh, I, I like to always uh, conclude our episodes by uh, doing a couple of things. Number one, I highly recommend your book, The Crucible's Gift. Uh, and please uh, go check out uh, the website uh, for those of you exercising. As always, we will include a link directly in uh, the post to make that easy for you. Uh, but I like to talk about action items. And uh, James, mm -hmm. if you would, I'd like for us, uh, for you to give your top two action items that, that you think listeners should do today so that they can get on the right path. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we didn't talk about a whole bunch of different concepts in the book um, that, that I think make an authentic leader. So just quick 30 seconds here. Sure. You know, one of the major premises, premises of the book is this idea that the crucible actually drives you to think about yourself, but that's only self-awareness. And what I found is that when leaders embrace their self-awareness through the crucible, they actually start embracing concepts of compassion, integrity, and relationships. But for me, the capper of all of this was that this only happened when they had a growth or learning mindset. When they realized that learning more about themselves and others around them and their business and their industry made them a better leader, they got it. And so when we talk about top, top two learnings and action items that you can do, I actually kind of move towards compassion because I think we're losing it in our society. I think we're actually losing compassion for others. And the vitriol that we, we, we think is acceptable, I'm not sure how we think it's acceptable because I don't think we would ever accept our kids to talk this way. So um, I, I like to say one action item is for compassion. And just to be clear, compassion is defined differently than empathy in that they both are about understanding someone's emotions, but compassion goes a step further and indicates that you want, actually want to relieve their suffering as well. Now, I understand that suffering is a very loaded term, but suffering is a minute thing. So let's, you know, Steve, imagine that you and I are working together, and we have a great time, and we're buddies, because we would be. Why wouldn't we? And so I walk by your desk, and I see that your, your cup of water is empty. And I say, hey, let me get you that cup of water. Don't, don't get up. And I walk across the office and get it and bring it back. That gesture does so many things, but it's that moment of compassion to quench your thirst, that tiny little bit of suffering. Maybe you're having a major moment of suffering or a minor. It doesn't matter. But it's the fact that I went out of my way to help you is what matters. And in that, and out of that, build, build relationship and trust and loyalty. 
and you're going to work harder for each other. And that in an organization is fundamental. And that actually starts to happen with leadership. When the leaders start acting that way, the employees will start acting that way. So that's, that's the number one is find little acts of compassion you can do during the day. It doesn't have to be grandiose, just small things. The second thing I would say, which I think is really important, is, and I know this is probably goes without saying, but it's really hard for people to do, is when you're in a meeting, put your phone down. Like, be <laughs> present. Because, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm in department meetings and we're talking is people are on their phones. Well, I know you're not listening. Like, I know you're not paying attention to anything I say, like, whatsoever. And let's go beyond that. It's just rude to the person who's up presenting. It's not giving them the respect they deserve. And this, to me, goes back to the golden rule, do unto others as you'd want done to you. So for many of us, we would like people to pay attention to us when we are presenting a topic, concept, idea, or leading the conversation. So give that respect back to the other people. And, and let's be clear, virtually, and I won't say nobody, virtually nobody is that important that you can't put your phone down for 30 minutes or an hour at a time. Nobody. So that's my two big action items. Well, James, I think they're both great action items, and uh, I, I appreciate you sharing them. Uh, my guest today has been Dr. James Kelly. He's author of The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. And James, uh, we certainly appreciate your wisdom here today. We look forward to your upcoming uh, new episodes uh, of uh, Executives After Hours. <laughs> And until then, uh, have yourself a great day, and we thank you so much for sharing today. Steve, thank you for your time, energy, and willingness to have me on your show. And just for the audience really quick, if you check my website out, I'm, I'm on a book tour starting in June. It's 6,500 miles in 49 days with four kids under 10, so that in itself is ridiculous. <laughs> but there's a map on my website that says book tour. Check it out. If you're anywhere along that journey, please reach out to me. I'm happy to stop, do a talk, do a signing, whatever. Just let me know, and uh, I'll make accommodations to do so. Awesome. Thank you again, James. That's awesome. And uh, listeners, I hope you'll take him up on that. <laughs>